0: A podcast
1: one
0: production. A funny thing has begun to happen that I didn't think was possible and that is that I'm running out of fail stories. Not because I've told them all on this podcast. No, 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 no. I've only told the ones I can remember. There must be a bunch of fails that have happened while I've been inebriated and I just can't recall them. So I put out a call on Facebook to ask my friends if they remembered any of these incidents. One of the fail stories I got was from my old housemate Rob. He writes, Remember that time when we were living at Coogee? you and the girls had a big night in the city and ended up at Coogee Beach. I get a vaguely coherent call at some hour of the morning asking me to come and get you from the beach. I figure something must be wrong, so I get dressed and walk down to the beach to see what's going on. It's a five-minute walk. I find you guys at the beach, and rather than being happy to see me, you're pissed off that I didn't drive down. Nothing was wrong. You just didn't want to have to walk the five-minute walk home and wanted a lift at 4.30 in the morning. Thanks for that, Rob. And, uh, sorry. (laughs) But I just wanted to ask, who failed the hardest here? Me, for being ungrateful that my flatmate didn't bring the car? Or Rob, for clearly not understanding that the only thing wrong was three junk bitches covered in sand that just needed a lift home? Who cares if it was a five-minute walk? In this episode, I talk to Sam Destiari about power, pride, and political downfall.
1: I I had an epic political fail, right? My epic failure stemmed from all my successes in a weird way, right? I was, without a doubt, the best fundraiser the Labor Party had ever seen, and I made it my job to manage the donors because I loved the power it gave me, that I was the one who in a handful of phone calls could raise three, four million dollars for the party. And Not asking enough questions about the donors, not doing fucking background checks, just managing them all the time, complete own goal, full responsibility, hindsight's a beautiful thing. But what's different about, say, a political or media fail is just how public it is. But the bit that's different is this, the pace. It goes from this kind of like soft breeze to a hurricane in a matter of hours. And part of this whole new media cycle is that everything's so quick. So what happened with me was I raised money off very, very dubious characters in the Australian Chinese community who turns out unawares to me, not that I asked enough questions, had some pretty serious links, allegedly, back to uh, the Chinese Communist Party. And these were my benefactors, sponsors, uh, fundraisers, uh, mates, I thought at the time. And I mistakenly thought that I was using them. And in hindsight, they were using me. And this is what happens when you get really arrogant. You think you're on top of every relationship, when it turns out they're on top of the relationship. And yeah, look, I'd raised a shitload of money off them. I was their mates. And the, I think the final nail in the coffin, but but I think there was a whole, really it was about the money. I mean, always follow the money. It was all the money we were raising off them that was the real issue, was um, in my final conversation with one of them, I told the guy, I said, mate, I can't be your friend anymore because everyone's telling me you're bugged. I can't be your mate, blah, blah, blah. And that got interpreted, I think, wrongly. As a, oh, you warned him that mate, it was all over the press. You think this guy wasn't fucking well aware of it? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But it is what it is. And it cost me my career. Fail. G'day, Sam. Hey, hey, how are you? It's good to have you here. You don't really know what you're in for today, did you? I literally, this is and a demonstration of how many mistakes I make in my life and how often I fail. I just agree to shit without actually like making any kind of a plan before it. As I was coming up left, I'm quickly looking up the podcast, trying to work out who's been on, what's been said. So, um, yeah, I think I'm your first failed politician.
0: I wouldn't define you as that.
1: Everyone You're- else
0: does. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, then. Well, I guess I'd start by saying um, what does failure mean to you?
1: I am just not into this American bullshit of, you know, um, failure is the pathway to success and failure is a stepping stone and all fail. That is just a lot of shit. That's people actually haven't had really bad things happen to them. Right? And I mean, you know, I've kind of, you know, I've had a political downfall, but, you know, like, you know, I'm still alive, I'm still healthy. But sometimes failure is just failure. Sometimes it's just bad. Sometimes you just set out to do things in your life and don't achieve them. And, and here's the thing, like, you know, you keep getting these things, you go on the internet and people send you crap, you know, like, oh, Michael Jordan failed this many times. Like, There's one Michael Jordan. There's, there's, there's one Abe Lincoln who had all these failures in politics and then succeeded. Most people in life, most people listening to this podcast are going to fail in everything they try and do in their lives. You will fail. You will not succeed, right? And in a weird way, there is a strange liberation that comes from accepting the fact that you are probably going to fail. You know, you know the famous story of syphilis and The Rock and, you know, Camus and French philosophy, no, you that's a lot end. there. Oh, jeez. Okay, okay. So uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this thing. Because I am a complete wanker, right? I started get into this bit of like a little bit of kind of and uh, you know to, mainly because I tried to wanted to sound smart. Started like years ago. Start reading up on kind of French, kind of you know uh, philosophy and this and that. This is philosopher uh, 50s, uh, Albert Camus, you know, French, and he 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 wrote a lot of things. But there's one really kind of famous story that he. he Repurposed p- 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 was the story of Syphilis. Syphilis. Not Syphilis, Syphilis. Syphilis is a. <laughs> the story of Syphilis is a whole different French story. <laughs> yes, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> There's some documentaries about that in, in that I can send you later. Okay, great. Um, but syphysis, And at a very simple level, the idea is this. This was, he was a. The uh, story goes that uh, he was being punished. And he was being punished because he'd wronged the gods and he cheated death. He cheated death on several occasions and the Greek legend goes that the punishment for him was that for the rest of eternity, he would roll a rock up to the top of the hill and it would roll back down. He'd walk down to the bottom and he'd roll it back up again. And Camus' take was, I imagine him happy. Mm. Because the knowing, and it, it kind of comes in that absurdist thinking, the knowing the absurdism of it all, the, the ridiculousness of it all, the knowing that that is your fate, is the ultimate act of freedom.
0: Yes. Yes. There's no uncertainty there.
1: There's no uncertainty. So if you kind of start from this premise that says, I'm going to fail, right? And it's complete opposite of this American kind of I'm going to succeed mentality. I agree. I am going to fail. Then everything apart from failure, A, becomes a victory. And it doesn't mean you don't do it, don't enjoy it, don't have fun, but just accept the fact there's a pretty decent chance all of this is going to end badly.
0: Yeah. Amazing. That American philosophy—it's just—it's toxic. I think it's gotten to the point now where it's gone too far.
1: Oh, when I, when I was going through one of my bad periods, right? I started—I got into that um, Anthony Roberts. I right? hate him. Oh my god, Anthony well, Anthony Roberts. Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts. Yeah, it is Anthony. Um, oh, and he does this thing where he goes at five in the morning. He gets up and takes an ice bath, right? And takes an ice shower, and then he goes and then he does these affirmations. Right? And there is that real mentality. Don't even, there is lessons from small setbacks in life, but if something really bad happens, like a death or this or that, you know, death of a family member or, or a husband or a wife or a partner or a child, these things, there's not a learning experience that makes you better. It's just bad things happen because life is absurd. <laughs>
0: That's great. That's great. I have to agree. Life is chaos. What is it in um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character in, in – uh, Stress what is When he's explaining the chaos theory, that's what I think. There's no, yeah, there's no destined path or anything like that. It's just all chaos.
1: No, and if you don't, um, again, going back to Camus, he has this one question that he asks. I think basically goes: the only real question you should ask yourself is why don't you kill yourself? That is the only question that matters in philosophy, right? Wow. Why not kill yourself? And why not commit suicide? And he says you don't commit suicide because once you, you know. The, accepting the absurdism, but there are other ways of committing suicide. And one of the ways of committing suicide, he takes is intellectual suicide, which is faith, religion, you know, and, and almost that American kind of personal empowerment that it's like a religion now, mm, right? Cult. It's got a cult. Yeah, I mean, you know, what is a cult? A cult, a, you know, a religion is a cult plus time. But um, it's a cult, right? And it's got its leaders and it's got its money mechanisms and it's got its purpose, it's got this and it's got that. And, yeah, you realise, you know, What makes you kind of – and by the way, most people, right, if they don't fail in being happy, two completely separate things. 100%. You know, like you and I probably know some really successful people. Most of them are fucking miserable. Uh, Yep. Miserable. Yep. Right? You know, I'm not saying people who fail are necessarily happy, but there's just no correlation. Yes. Like the four things that you pursue for happiness, drugs, sex, power, money.
0: Because humans are ultimately hedonistic.
1: Yeah, of and course. And life's absurd. Of course. And if you get all four of them at once, <laughs> <laughs> drugs, sex, power, and money, you can have a great night. Yeah. Right? Is that fulfillment? I don't know. Night, but not lifetime. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've, I, I know a few people who've tried to stretch it out into a big weekend.
0: <laughs> okay. I suppose I want to ask you, how would you describe what you do for a living?
1: Oh, uh, colourful labour identity. Well, at the moment I can of, well, look what I do. I, I consult the private equity and to uh, big investors about how to deal with risk when it comes to government. But I don't know. I mean, like, what is that, right? Like, I, I jokingly say to people, I, you know, I'm a strategic advisor to private equity and I realise that no single word within that line do I understand what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know what it means either. It sounds impressive, right? In part glorified lobbyist at times, but I, I'm kind of pretty careful I don't want to lobby. I'll give people like a bit of advice and strategic advice on how to deal with things uh, in terms of like government and risk and whether or not if they're going to buy a big asset. Because you're going to think about it, right? Let's say you're going to buy a big health asset. That's about, you're a big private equity mob. That's probably a $350 million, $400 million asset. Paying some consultant, you know, a bit of money to write a report on what the government and regulatory risk around that is, is nothing to actually mitigate your own risk when it comes to your board. So I do a bit of that.
0: But isn't that inher- you are so
1: bored right no, now? No, you're no, like no, looking no. at me like so bored.
0: No, no, I'm thinking because isn't if you're advising against risk, isn't that inherently tied up with preventing failure?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's about making sure you go into an investment decision with the with the right information.
0: Doesn't that clash with your life philosophy of everyone's going to fail all the time and just accept it's going to happen?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, that's uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, Oh, what you say? There's a striking contradiction at the heart of me. That's your new revelation from this podcast? So far. Start with the fact that I'm some insane lefty who works for private equity these days. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, like, that is a way bigger kind of conflict. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you, you make a buck. you got to earn a living. I've got children. Yes. Um, but, look, it's not inherently like – to be honest, the, I think the problem with a lot of it is it's um, – I don't know how much of it gets listened to uh, and I don't know how much of when we talk about failure and you talk about business risk culture – how much of it is just about everyone all the time Ass covering? How much of all the decisions that get made up that chain is about someone just covering their ass so that when the shit hits the fan, they're not the one being blamed? Yeah. Yeah, look, I think it's a fascinating world we're going into, a fascinating thing in, in that kind of business community. But no, when it comes to assets and big purchases, a lot of it is about boards and them wanting to know what it is we're buying. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of millions, you understand, this will blew me away. The amount of money, in private equity in Sydney. You know, they call a million dollars a buck. They'll say oh, something costs, they'll say something costs, like what's it worth? They go 60 bucks. And I didn't realize they meant 60 million dollars. Oh right? my like, God. It's just
0: like, does these terms get thrown around. Incomprehensible to it me. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Sorry to point that out. I was just like, hold on a second. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> no, you're, no, like, you're like, oh, come on. this is This is how it is. But uh, how did you get your start, I guess? Like, give me your... Okay,
1: I got involved really, really young in politics, really young. I got involved in 1999 during the Republican referendum, right? So I was kind of a school student, involved in my area, loved the idea of the republic, first-generation migrant kind of, you know, you know, everything was kind of, you know, at the time, the whole idea of the Queen seemed kind of crazy for, you know, migrant in Australia. And so I got really involved in the Republican referendum. And where I was at the time in Sydney was kind of the hills area of Sydney. And it was kind of conservative Bible Belt. My parents had a small business out that way. And the people who were involved in the Yes campaign, were all members of the Labor Party. They asked me to join. I joined. And then I put on the biggest stack the Labor Party's ever seen when I was in high school. Because they said to me, these local ALP figures go to me, oh, look, can you bring some people to the next meeting? I said, yeah, I wanted to impress them. So I brought on 300, 370 people. And uh, it turned out to be more people than the entire Northern Territory branch of the Labor Party in one night. It was a bit of a story at the time.
0: But it how did you hard. do it?
1: How would you just, get everybody to come? I just convinced people. I us call my friends, family, cousins, everyone I knew, said, hey, come on, you got to join this Labor Party thing, blah, blah, blah. And I brought them. And, um, uh, and I thought after that, I thought, oh, geez. And then. Story came up and I thought I was dead in the Labour Party right up. And then I realised, no, uh, I had people, I had numbers, I had votes. And then from that, very young, got involved in oh, I did all that boring shit, you know, that young Labour crap and all of those things. Did all of that uh, through high school, did some work for Kevin in my early 20s and uh, ran the Labour Party when I was 26.
0: Yeah, wow. And you've yeah. got to understand,
1: like, this stellar kind of, like, until my epic downfall this stellar kind of rise where you think nothing, shit doesn't stink, nothing's going to go wrong.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's that false sense of security. That's come up a few times actually with a few of the chats.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what what is are you going to base it on? If your life experience has always gone well, why would you work on the assumption that it's not going to at some point? Yeah. Like, why would you suddenly come to the assumption that says, oh, I'm going to fail epically and, you know, this is going to be a disaster every other time it's gone well?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can you pinpoint a time when you felt the happiest and most fulfilled in your career?
1: Yeah, but it's all ego, right? right? It's all ego. You know, I, got into, I was in parliament before I was thirty, or as I was thirty, yeah. um, was running campaigns. There were different kind of moments like that. Um, yeah, like, it, but but it, all of it without consequence. I mean, I was an arrogant little shit, right? Uh, like a really arrogant little shit. Hard to believe now because I'm such <laughs> such a well measured <laughs> kind of stable guy, but. There were times when, you know, like I I was out of control. Like, I remember, so my second daughter was born 25th of September. The federal election that year was the 13th of September, right? About six weeks earlier, Kevin had just come back as prime minister, right, uh, 2013. Kevin had just come back as PM. And it was about six weeks, seven weeks. Kevin calls me to Kiribati. I go across to Kiribili. Actually, this is a very Kevin story, right? I get this phone call from Kevin. And it's from a private number. I got like 18 calls. I remember it because was actually the 28th of July because my birthday. This was my 30th birthday. It's a phone call from, uh, and the phone rings and time answered. It's Kevin from the private plane flying back from Afghanistan. We all thought he was going to call the election the next day. Uh, and he says, mate, Come, he goes. What are you doing? I said, Oh, mate, it's my birthday. Blah, blah. I'm just not working. i was at home, you know, with the family stuff. I've got a dinner party tonight. Yada yada. Friends coming go over. He goes. Oh, great, great, great. Oh, uh, well, I'll be gone by about eight eight thirty. So be at my place by then. Hangs so. up. I cancel the party. Cancel everything. I go down. Go see Kevin. I go pull up. Go see Kevin. Sits down. He goes, Mate, I'm unhappy with the campaign team down in Melbourne. Uh, I'm happy how everything's been organised. Uh, look, do me a favour. Uh, is it too late to get a plane down tonight? It was too late. He goes, that's right. Just go down the first thing in the morning and just stay there till election day. I said, yeah, no worries, blah, blah, I went home, left for the morning without telling my wife that I was even going for six weeks. It just didn't even occur to me. About three days later, I'm like, oh, yeah, shit. She goes, where are you? Where have you been? I said, oh, no, I'm just standing in Melbourne for next week. And she's at this stage eight months pregnant, right? <gasps> so this is like two weeks before. At that point, we didn't know when the baby was going to be born. Um, and I'll be honest, I was so out of control I'm not sure if the baby was born before the 13th, where I want to come back. Like, oh, now I would have, but at the time I don't know if I even would have done that. Like I was so in that world, so I was obviously back by the time the baby was born. Yes. But if the baby had been born before then, would I have left the campaign? Would I have left Kevin? Amazing. Touch and go. Depends what's happening that day.
0: Isn't it weird when you get when you think about those different mindsets? Yeah. Like where you were.
1: Oh well, mate, on a drug. Yeah. Mate, you know, well, you know, what's that great saying? Power is better than sex and almost as good as lunch.
0: What's that like being in that moment? You know, the Prime Minister wants you to revamp the campaign. Like...
1: It's just your world, right? So you just don't, you live in these worlds where everything's surreal and there's no real appreciation of anything to it. But, but for me, it was such a power high, constantly on a power high, mm. right? constantly seeking, you know, that next kind of hit. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it's a drug, you know, power's a drug, um, politics a drug. And, you know, you're... You zoom through it and you zoom through it really, really quickly and um, and when it runs out, you're just always after that kind of dopamine hit.
0: You seem to be like you've got this gift of the gap, you know what I mean, and that's your talent and to be able to get... You can get the influence and the money and the friendships. I don't know. I think you're pretty good at it oh, if yeah, that's yeah. what yeah, you yeah. do. Well,
1: that's, yeah, yeah, it turned out great. Yeah, that's right. Washed up at 36.
0: No, you're not... <laughs> You're not washed up. Come on, look. Let's look. Let's look objectively at what you have now that you were describing before. You pulled yourself out of it, and now you can learn what really has value in your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm dating my first unique girlfriend again. Oh wow! Yeah, we just moved in <laughs> together last week. Oh,
0: amazing!
1: So we dated when we were eighteen and nineteen, and then she dumped me because she thought I was hanging around with these losers in young labour, <laughs> 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 and couldn't understand why. And then we moved in together, uh, yeah, like days ago.
0: Amazing. Well, congrats. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, that shit matters.
1: Yeah, of course it does. But you realize it does. But at the time, it didn't. But here's yeah. the thing, But right? this is the witness, right? I'm, I hate these people, right? Who turn around and they convince themselves this bullshit where they say, oh, having this setback and this scandal and this disaster happened in my life actually made things better and life made better and blah, blah. It's not black and white. No. There are definitely other things you can get out of it. Mm. But this idea that somehow everything's better because this scandal or bad thing happened is just bullshit that people tell themselves. Then you haven't had a real failure. Yes. A real failure is something that you are worse off at the end of. Doesn't mean you can't get other things from it and other lessons, and nothing's linear, like nothing's black and white. It's not all bad or all good. But this idea when people go, oh, yeah, and there was this time when I got sacked when I was 18, and that taught me that I need to show up to work. Well, that's not fucking failure. Uh, that's just the normal projection of of tiny small setback in life. Like real failure is, you know, at nineteen I got caught in some sex video that went around, which I didn't, by the way. Um, you know, that haunted me for the rest of my life. Like real failures are kind of big things that yeah. knock the shit out of you.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Do you think with time your perspective will change on that? Maybe you will be one of those guys. It's like, oh, look, it taught me this, that, the other. Or do you think no? Nah. No,
1: no way. Yeah. No, I love politics. I hate the fact that I have to be out, right? Right, right. It kills me, right? Right. Um, And, and, you know, and again, there is a freedom that comes from just knowing I'm not going back and I can't, right? I know what I want to. But knowing that is is just this incredible freedom in life, Mm. right? That is actually the one good thing is that that feel free because of that. But that being said, no, because then you go to yourself, you know, I think the biggest problem all of us kind of face is, what's your purpose what's the point mm. what is the point of all of this mm. you can just do things that you enjoy things that are fun um but what's the point of it all and i don't have the answer to that
0: yeah neither yeah this existential existential I mean, yeah. of
1: course and, we have the, and our problem is that once your basic needs are met right you know you got food you got shelter you got sex the maslow got hierarchy yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so all that when all that stuff kind of happens right so you've got that based in your life you know most of us to an extent you know course you'd always want a bit more money and of course this and of course everyone wants to have more sex and all those kinds of things, right? But once basically that framework set, then yeah, what 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 else is there? Like what is the point of it all? Like what is the purpose? Thing that politics gives you, right? And I've heard this story from athletes as well. Companies do this as well. Good companies do this as well. They give you a structure of purpose and Mm. they give you uh, a ladder. So your purpose suddenly becomes, oh, Next year I'll become a partner mm. or oh, then I'll be executive thing. There is a pathway to rise, right? And then political parties do that as well kind of with promotion and athletes and then do that with the team mentality. Oh, our team is doing this to win this, mm-hmm. right? You know, our team is, um, uh, you know, our team's, you know, um, you know, we're fighting this, we're in this together, it's us versus them, there's camaraderie, there's a purpose, the purpose is trying to win the cup at the end of the year. There's
0: purpose and, and path, like yeah. Cle- clearly, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're building towards it. And actually, on a completely side story, I um, uh, last year I did this reality television show because, you know, I'm an egomaniac called um, uh, I'm a Celebrity and on it was Shane Crawford who was the captain for like eight years, I think, of um, but long-term player of uh, Hawthorne. And he told me this thing that really interested me. He goes, goes, the thing that he found really hard was, he goes, when he was like elite, elite athlete, you know, probably the best kind of players, you know, of of a generation, he goes, his day was pretty much set by first thing in the morning, he'd pee in a cup. And they test the capi. Not, not, this was the club, not like drug testing that. To see what his hydration, fluid levels and that was. And based on that, they work out how much he's going to eat, what he's going to drink, what he's going to do. For the day? Yep. And he goes, and his entire day was planned out. Right, You know, I'm going to, you know, at 6.30 a.m., we've got a training session. It's going to be fitness up. At 10.30, you're visiting a school to go hand out some awards to some school kids in the area. Then at 3 p.m., you've got another training thing. Then your functions and events that night. And then this is how many calories you're having today. And this is what you're doing and this and that. And, you know, and then every year there'd be six-week off season. They go, okay, this is your six weeks, your holidays now. You go holiday, drink, do whatever you want. You still keep a little bit fit. you know, do a little bit of running and that. But, you know, this is your off-season, you know. Don't train too hard during this period because, you know, you need to be back for the season and you need to, you know, all, all this stuff. And then there's shrinks and every time you've got a little bit of pain in your back thigh, someone's going to come and, you know, stretch your muscle for you, all of this. And he goes, then a day he left. And, you know, I think he retired... The, after they won the premiership. Like it was an amazing story, you know. He was the captain of the team or whatever. I think he was still captain at the time. I don't know. Wins the premiership, his last game, this and that. Goes, amazing. It was just the best feeling. He couldn't have written his career better. And the next day, I think it was like 35 or something, the next day he gets up and goes, what the fuck do I do now? Mm. Right? Mm, you know, what do you do now? What, what, what am I doing on Monday? It's uh, your problem. Mm. I mean, he's been very successful. He's brilliant. He's talented. He's motivated. But it but messes I, with
0: your head, that stuff. Of course, because yeah. your
1: entire purpose of life is just structured for you. And politics does that as well. I mean, you do it, you, you know, it's less centered around others, but, um, but you're kind of your day and you're this and you're that and your diary. And then all of a sudden, what do you do? And I think, you know, people get it in business and media and whatever, and then you suddenly lose all that and you mm. go, what happens now? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: There is nothing darker and scarier than being left with your own thoughts at 3 a.m. in the morning.
0: 100% agree. Hundred percent agree.
1: You're this right. got fucking dark, didn't it?
0: Cheers. <laughs> All right then. All right then. Okay. Well, let's right. change. Let's change tack a bit. Forget the scandal. Do you have any other like funny and embarrassing, like most embarrassing thing you've ever done or a funny situation? Dude, I
1: did a reenactment for the ABC once for um, uh, this show called Killing Season, where uh, where it was like this documentary where this whole reenactment was on my phone and that. I've I have done anything. Right. I, I literally had this kind of stunt mentality, which even Nick Xenophon used to say, dude, there's a lie. Like there is a lie.
0: <laughs> Xenophon said that. You know, like
1: like literally anything for a camera and you justified to yourself by Here the we are. Here we are. <laughs> right? um, but you justify it to yourself. You justified to yourself by saying, No, 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 I am um, oh it's all for the purpose, for the cause, but it's not, it's for your own ego. Right. Right? Mm, mm, like yeah. you know, like you can always justify why you should do media. I actually actually kind of stopped. So the past three, four months I've pretty much stopped mm. because, you know, I kind of got through therapy, realised, oh, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. I'll do the stuff that I want to do. I'll do the stuff I enjoy. I'll do the stuff that I don't have something to say. But do I really just want to be a commentator? Like just commenting on other people's shit, what do I care? Mm. Like I don't need this. Yeah. And it's kind of making me sad.
0: I that- oh, do not just get dark again? No, but I just, I need, um. but maybe it's just you need a break from it, you know. Yeah, it's maybe just, it's just a break, just a, like a recalibrate. It's not like a quit. It's not quitting.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: This interview has has been different to all the others. How come? Because normally I would say, how, what have you learnt, and how have you changed, and how are you like? Oh, you and, definitely and,
1: change. I mean, you, you change. Everyone changes, right? Yeah. But you know, you get changed the way you get changed. if You get hit by a sledgehammer, right? Mm. Like you get changed because your entire life, because you have to. Like you're, you know, you're forced to change. It's not. You know, it's not like just like this is a period of self-discovery and this and that. If you really fail, you don't really have a choice. Like, it, it, it you know, failure is thrust upon you. Mm. And then you, you have to decide whether or not you can, what you're going to do. So when I had my scandal, all right, I had two options really. I was probably allowed to vanish. You can vanish mm-hmm. just in yourself, right? You know, people, you never hear from again, and what happened to so-and-so, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of just vanish. And they become this like, trivia question in 20 years time, it goes, oh, I remember so-and-so, blah, mm, blah. Mm, mm, mm. And I thought about doing that. And I thought, oh, fuck it. What do I care? Like I don't have to live in this city still. Right. I don't want to be that guy who moves the farm in barrel uh, and no one ever sees it again mm, mm. and becomes this thing. I said, oh, fuck, it. I'll just own it.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And uh, owning it is really one of the only ways of kind of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so look, it, but it changes you. I'm like, I'm, I know it sounds kind of weird, but way tougher person now. Yeah. Nothing bothers me. Yeah. Like, literally nothing bothers me, right? Like, for me to get worked up about something now is like everything's in perspective. And what's really interesting is working around kind of private equity and corporate affairs in Sydney a little bit. Like, these guys are like, you know, there's like a story that's on page eight of the Finn, and they freak out until the cameras have been parked in front of your house for the third week.
0: This is nothing. What this are you is worried nothing. about? Who cares? And then step it up again. You haven't been shot yet. So what does it matter? <laughs> yeah. right?
1: This is nothing. You think this is tough? Yeah. Um, so it really toughens you. But, but here's what I'm not sure about. Politicians over time become really, really tough. right? No, I'm not a politician anymore. I don't know if that makes them better people though. Right. And it makes you a better person. Like I don't know if I'm – I don't know if I was more fun and more enjoyable when I had the – I mean I was an arrogant little shit. But the kind of – I don't know, joy is probably the wrong word, but pleasantness of, you know, hey, when you're at uni or school or whatever, but when you kind of first start meeting these like rich boys from like the private schools of Sydney, and they're actually so much fun and they're so lovely and they're so interesting and charming. And you realize, maybe to you because you're a bloke. Maybe, maybe. Right? No, no, but part of it, we're yeah, probably, but part of it was, oh, of course they are. Never wanted for anything. Yeah, it's hard not to be charming and lovely, and they're fun and they're hilarious. But it was almost like, oh, because they come from this world of privilege, right? And and they, I was a lot of them are great. I mean, some of them are dicks, right? But some are great people, right? Because everything in their life's always been okay. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't they be like, you know, I always said the charm and charisma of never having to worry about money or purpose, right? Yeah. Right? If it's just a family and this and there's a trust and everything's going to be okay, sure, you can be really delightful going to the beach on the Sunday, right? And, and you also get that kind of, there's a stream of conservative Tory who are actually really good on social libertarian social liberty issues and that because, you know, well, they're rich and this and that. I think all oh, poor people should get something too and disagree with some of their views on politics. But they're really good people, right? And they're doing it all for the right reason. And you know, I I was you know, and they're arrogant, this and that. But if you get those real knocks in life, you become a lot more real. Yes. Does that make you better? And it certainly doesn't make you happier. Because that's the, at the end of the day, isn't this the thing, right? Are you happier? And can and what well, I mean, you know, and again, happiness isn't this like point in time where the, I'm happy and I'll always be happy, and that's what you know. It's obviously you know we all go ups and downs. But generally, are you happier or not? And no, I was way happier when I was arrogant little shit living in this little bubble where I was the most important person I dealt with every day.
0: I'm gonna come back to you in five years and just check if this perspective's changed. I'm curious. Okay, I'm not no. saying it will. I just I'm just curious to see. No. But this has been the most amazing, unique, eye-opening interview. Oh
1: yeah, bullshit, it bullshit. Has bullshit. All right, it has thank beat. you. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to that.
0: <laughs> we gotta wrap up. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me and recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look me up on Apple Podcasts.